modification, I do believe it means thousands of praises to the Lord. It's more, it's more than just one. It it's kind of means to be a plural. I'm not sure. Um, what is the sign for praise, and is it the same for hallelujah? Praise. Hallelujah, because it's, mo it's more. That's why. And here's the trivia question. How many times does the word hallelujah appear in the Bible? You'd be wrong. Four. And they all appear in one book. Nope. Revelation. That's the only place the word appears. It appears four times in the Bible. Now, now that is based on the King James. I just looked it up to make sure I was right. And I'll tell you, it's based on the King James. There may be, maybe they didn't translate some of the Old Testament words like they should have back in the Psalms, but... Um, and it's hallelujah because it's not spelled with an H in the King James anywhere. But I'll tell you another thing about the word hallelujah. It means the same. It is said the same way in every language in the world. And it means the same thing. Any, you, you speak every language in the world if you know the word hallelujah or hallelujah. At least the, uh, the ones that we commonly know, I would say. You might find some tribe somewhere that nobody else has ever talked to. And they may not have that word in their vocabulary. But um, I, I wanted to ask a few questions. And... I saw this, and I'm a little kid when it comes to microphones and whiteboards. I want to write on them, and I want to talk in them. So um, if you ever notice that about kids, I'm going to hold this just so we have consistency of sound. Um, and uh, I want to ask a, a, a few questions, and so this is kind of an outline of it. And I just made up five questions off the cuff. Um, there might be better questions, and I'd be glad to take those. This is before we get into tonight's thing. And uh, because I, I've kind of been going through it fast, and that's because that's my nature, and I apologize for that. Pastor uh, Andy made a sign for me, and it's right there, and it's the word repeat. Say it twice. He said, uh, I go so fast sometimes, like, he doesn't quite catch what I'm saying for him. Off to the next thing, so, like, when it's real important, slow down, say it twice. So when it's real important, slow down, say it twice. All right, so how did that work? That was good, wasn't it? All right. He appreciates silly things like that. Um, so, here are the questions I came up with. What can we learn from any of these churches? Okay? Um, and, and this, I'm going to ask y'all maybe to help answer some of these uh, before we get into it. And then, how does this help those churches if they were heading into tribulation? It could be the Great Tribulation or any tribulation. How did it help them prepare for that? Uh, for tribulation, trouble to come, because... And many of them, he says, the trouble's on the way. You know, you're going to get in trouble this way or that way. It's not always the same. The third question I came up with was, how can the lessons to these churches help us today? And I meant by us, I meant here at Calvary. The fourth question was, how can the lessons help us to prepare for tribulation, persecution, great tribulation, any of that? Um, and I got a specific reason for that one. Let me just say it real quickly. Um, uh, this morning, Brother Pete did a really uh, excellent job in, in uh, presenting uh, uh, the perspective of, from, his, from his viewpoint of being a veteran and things about our flag and, and our country. Um, and and here, here's a point about the coming Great Tribulation. There aren't going to be any good countries left. All right? This country will fall into sin and disrepair and, and all of that. And so our job as a church, no matter if things are good or bad, is to preach Jesus, right? And, and so that's kind of simplified, but I, I, so I'm asking that question, 
assuming that things go as badly as they could, how, what do we learn from these churches that can help us prepare for that? And then the last question I came up with, just five, um, how can the lessons here help us to live a better life for Christ? That's always a good question to ask. So just be thinking about those questions. I want to ask you two, this is kind of uh, to simplify things. I spent, what, hour and a half or two hours at first night on chapter one, which I would never try to repeat again, as long as I live, hopefully. Um, but uh, what's that? Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but in chapter one, uh, why? Why is the book of Revelation given to us? And there's an answer in verse one and then a very general answer I gave you. So I got two answers. If you don't remember, then I didn't do that great of a job. I don't mind you looking it up, though. Trust. Yeah, you do get a blessing, but that's not why the book was written. And I do appreciate that reminder of that. Uh, this is a book that we get blessed. And at the last chapter, you get a curse if you add to it or take away from it, right? Um, there are a lot of people out there saying they, they, uh, God speaks to them audibly, and they write it down, and they publish books, and people buy them by the hundreds. That means Scripture is still being written, which is not possible so therefore, they are false prophets and liars, so don't believe anybody that says that, like the book Jesus Calling. Throw it away. If you got it, throw it away. Um, so, but in the first verse here, right, to, to warn his servants, right? That wasn't a, I had a specific color picked out, and I'm just that OCD. And it doesn't have any ink left. All right, yeah, sorry. Yeah, the black's almost gone too. To prepare, or to know what's coming, and what, what in general, what is, what is an encouragement? Let me, let me change it from why, but it is why Revelation is there, I think, and I'm going to go back to blue because I'm obviously the only one that still writes well. Um, in it, it's okay. Okay, thank you, man. I, yeah, I'm... I'll probably stop doing this in a minute because it's going to delay me too much having this much fun. Um, but in general, and, and I'll, I'll make as broad a hint as I can, Jesus has revealed to us in a way we've not seen in Scripture. I mean, this is the first, like a description of him glorified uh, more fully. So what does that tell us? Very specifically, there's two things that it says he is doing and or around him, not in his description, but where he is and what he's doing, and how does that encourage us? Yes, he's he's among his churches, and then and then what what is the second thing that is going on there? What is he holding? Which are, which are, yeah, he's, he's walking among the churches, but he's holding something in his hand. He's holding someone in his hand, which is, which is explained to be the messengers. Yes, he's holding the messengers in his hand. I probably just misspelled that. Is it M-E-S-S-A-N-G-E-R? Messengers. E-N-G-E-R. Okay, I'll just leave it there. Y'all can fix it. All right. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, I, they should have never made computers with spell check, but because um, I don't think as hard as they used to. Anyway, yeah, so for me in the first chapter, that's the two things you've got to remember. The book was given to us to get us ready for the end, and we have the encouragement that he walks among his churches and he holds the messengers of those churches in his hand. And that means he can, you know, if, if he's got the messengers of all the churches in his hand, he can probably do a whole lot with them, right? <laughs> if he needs to, which includes thumping them or, you know, getting rid of them or encouraging them or whatever he needs to do. So to me, that, that first chapter is a very encouraging thing. That's why I went over it that first night was to, to, to kind of help us. Um, and, and without answering all five questions on each church, tell me something about Ephesus that it, it either um, a lesson we can learn, um, uh, help us to going, help them or us, and you could put that together because if it helped them, it help us. What does it teach us about if we're going into trouble? I'm using the word tribulation because we're in Revelation, but uh, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be the great tribulation. It could be just trouble. Um, how does that help them and us? And how would it help us today, and how does it help me as an individual today? And I'll give you the broad answer to that question right away. Uh, it helps you to be a better church member right now, right, if you understand some of this. So um, what about Ephesus? What, what's a lesson we learn or an encouragement there or something from there? Okay, so... To make sure your first love stays your first love. And if you remember, we defined that, and somebody shared with me that it meant a lot to them, and I always appreciate when somebody says that, so I'll repeat what I said, which is, it's not that God comes first and everything else comes second, it's God comes first in every area of our life. He's number one here, he's number one here, he's number one here, he's number one. There's never a place God's not number one, which is kind of a, in a, in a somewhat of a way to say the pure in heart. Uh, out, of, out of the Beatitudes, that he is always the focus, no matter our situation. Um, all right, so that's a great, yeah, that's a great lesson. It's the main lesson in Ephesus, in fact. Uh, you've left your first love. And what is the cure to leaving your first love? Yeah, to re repent. And, and in fact, an uh, 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 older preacher many years ago, he outlined it this way, remember, repent, and redo. It doesn't say redo here, it just says, and do the first works. Uh, and that was Vance Havner, in case anybody knows who's, who I'm talking about. But he said, remember from where you're falling, repent, and then do those first things again. Uh, which are, uh, we, we sometimes try to make it like, you know, a first, when you're first in love. But it's, it's more of, at the beginning you understand, y'all old enough to remember this phrase, I don't know how many people still use brooms, but... Um, a new broom sweeps clean, right? Well, the, do y'all know the rest of that saying? You don't. I'll see the gullah do. A new broom sweep clean, but when it gets old, it scratches. <laughs> when the straw gets worn down, now it's scratching your floor, right? It's not, it's not sweeping anymore, it's scratching. And actually, it probably comes from when they didn't have, they had a dirt floor, they didn't have anything in there. So that new broom would smooth it out nicely, but as the broom aged, it would just make furrows. So um, that's sort of the idea here that, that they had stepped away from the relationship to God and, and, uh, and lost that priority. How about Smyrna? What's going on there?
They were different from Ephesus in a very particular way. It's right there in the beginning of, at the church to Smyrna. It was in verse 8 and 9. They did, yes. They had stood firm and, and God knew it. And um, also, they said they were poor, but God said, no, you're not, you're rich because you are standing firm. Ephesus thought, you know, well, actually, a, a church after that thing, is it Pergamum or the entire one of them said they were rich, or maybe it's um, Laodicea thought they were rich, but they were actually poor, he says. But anyway. So this church thinks they're poor, but he said, no, you're not. You've, you've, got, you've got what it takes. It would, it would help all of us, and, and, and maybe Smartic helps us with this, uh, and, and that is um, in, in 100 years, how many of us will still be here? Miss Roe being the exception. If you don't know, Ms. Rowe is our oldest living member, and she is right here on the front row. Bless her heart. I, lo I love that. It's encouraging to see her. Um, yeah, none of us will be here. So whatever's bothering you today, not only will in 100 years nobody remember, but there are at least a billion Chinese people alive right now that don't care. So put it in perspective, okay? And Smyrna... Eternity's on the way. You think you're poor. No, you're not. You're rich. You're holding on. You're, you're in there. You're not going to give up. So that's what I get out of it anyway. Uh, what about Pergamum? I, I just like saying Pergamum. They are in a tough spot, aren't they? They are, they are at where the throne of Satan is. But they have a little bit going on that he's pretty mad about. What, what is Pergamum doing? Yeah, they, they're, they're holding on to these. They're, they're starting to compromise their beliefs, and they're holding on to teachings of these false gods, and that is obviously not going to help them. Um, so we can take a lesson from that to, again, make God our number one, love him, realize that no matter what it looks like on the outside, we're rich if we are rich in Christ. Um, and and uh, that in the face of all of this kind of uh, pressure that we ought to stay re, uh, uh, loyal to Christ. Um, so in verse uh, 15, he says, So you also have some who hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans, uh, therefore repent, uh, repent of that, this, of going after these false ideas and false uh, things. Um, because I'm going to come and war against them with the sword of my mouth. Uh, no matter how good it looks in the moment, Jesus is one day going to uh, expose all of them. And then last week uh, we had Thyatira, uh, also a fun word to say, and a very long text for Thyatira, even though it seems like a, a small place. Uh, but what can we learn from them? Okay, they served and persevered, and they, they have a, a false prophetess there, a, a woman who claims to be a prophet, but she is a false prophet. She is telling lies, and I, I've, just, I've been watching a lot of, um, not a lot, that's not a good word to say, it makes it sound like I'm doing something I shouldn't be, but um, I've, seen, I've watched several, uh, I found a site where they uh, show 
preachers preaching on different sides of things and showing, exposing the heresy over here and the truth and showing the truth over here, uh, according to Scripture. And um, and honestly, just you can always tell the truth because you can just feel it. Number one, you can just it it's it's just solid. There's no fluff in it. Um, that heresy stuff, they got to pump it up. It's got to be exciting. It's got to catch your interest. Uh, we, we understand it in modern terms on social media where uh, people, they call it getting catfished or something where they get caught into something and it goes wrong. And, and uh, these churches, and, and just in general, several of these churches, they had emperor worship and they had false uh, religions. And we have the same, we have the same things facing us today. And before these guys that happened, at, you know, the lie of Baal or Balaam was for the Jewish people coming into the promised land. You know, from way back there to today to, to there to today and into the future if Jesus tarries. So um, I, I, I just did that little bit of exercise with you to remind you, go back and review some of this and ask maybe some questions like the ones I asked. What can I learn from this? What should they have learned? And if they missed it, what can I learn? Because... These, a lot of these churches don't exist anymore. These are in Turkey, and, and uh, a lot of them just aren't even there. What happened to them? They, they were strong, and now they're not there. And uh, it it's all, always behooves us to remember how easy it is for us to fall into decay. So let's, let's jump into chapter 3. We actually changed chapters. I, I kept going, are we in chapter 3 yet? Uh, there's only three churches in chapter 3, and we start with Sardis. So that's who we'll look at tonight. And that hot tea feels good. Um, let me just give you a quick little background on Sardis that may not be here. First, let's, let's read the text, and then we'll pray, and, and I should have prayed already. But And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, those words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white. For they are worthy. The ones who the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord, uh, indeed, uh, we want to have the ear to hear. Um, you 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 command it. You say if you have an ear to hear, but. Uh, Lord, I, so many times, uh, parents or whoever said, are you listening? Which meant I wasn't listening. I needed to pay it better attention. And so, Lord, obviously, if we will just stop ourselves, quiet ourselves like a weaned child and listen, we might hear you better. But, Lord, we still cannot hear you without your aid. So we, we ask for that help, that the Holy Spirit would open our understanding, the ears of our understanding, that we hear what you're saying to us as individuals, but us as part of your bride. Because we look forward to the day when uh, we are all together with 
all the saints that make up the, the bride of Christ. And that uh, in that day, as we rejoice together, as our husband comes and, uh, and welcomes us into the place prepared for us. So, so we look forward to that day. And uh, until then, Lord, may we continue to fight the fight that you've given us to fight, being faithful to you and to your word, and not giving up, being faithful all the way to the end. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Sardis is past its prime. It is over the hill, okay? That's something you just need to know about it. It, it used to be a big deal, and now not so much. Um, in the 6th century B.C., so 600 years before Christ, it was the capital city of the kingdom of Lydia. Uh, I don't know what that means, but that's what I read. Um, and it was the center of the Persian government, but not anymore. The New, in the New Testament times, Sardis had sunk to just relative obscurity. Um, I, I, can't, I see this more in my head in South Carolina than I do here. But Janice and I used to live, um, you, had to, you had to mean to get there, okay? Um, we, have you ever lived in, you had to mean to get there, South Carolina? Well, we did. And, uh, and so anywhere you drove out of there, you were getting through, why are we here, South Carolina, before you got anything major, Right. And uh, there would be these hotels totally shut down, overgrown. You know what I'm talking about? Those used to drive in when I was a kid, you know, with the vacancy sign, no vacancy, just one little spot after another. You, you would see, you know, little towns with service stations and stores just shut down and gone. Uh, well, that's kind of what's happened to Sardis. They're just, they're just in, in a sense, a, a ghost town. Um, and uh, her... Um, the best she has going for her is there were a bunch of Roman roads that intersected there. So the train station's still open, okay? Um, that was where a lot of commerce and things had been going on, but it's kind of moved. They built an interstate, now not so much. But that is the best thing that is happening that still has some, uh, some help in that. Um, but she was an important industrial center, and it was the home of woolen and dyed goods. Uh, the chief cult uh, was a, a female goddess named, I guess that's Sybil, C-Y-B-E-L-E, Cybele is how I would say it in English, but it could be Sybil or something like that. It's a goddess from one of Age's famous mystery religions. They, they got, you know, a thousand names. Uh, I don't know if you know, but Hinduism has something like three billion gods in it. Is that right? Some, some number like that. And so when you talk to a Hindu about Christ, they go, sure, we'll add him. You know, that, that's just their attitude. Um, and and uh, so that in this area, there's plenty of gods uh, to worship and to, to follow. And so this was just one of them, and that was that city's main uh, kind of god. Um, and they, but they were very zealous in promoting emperor worship. They, the uh, Roman government required you to worship them, to, to say Caesar is Lord, to worship the... Uh, the, the Roman Empire, and uh, so they were zealous about that because they used to be politically important, and they're, um, uh, I don't want to say the word that we would use, but um, it starts with an S and ends in I-N-G, up is the last word in it, um, to, to be getting back in good graces with the government. They, they, that's, that's probably why they're doing it, I would think. But anyway, um, but they were widely known for their luxurious, loose way of life. It's like, Nothing else is going on. We made our money. We're sitting here. They're just hanging out, retired, I guess. And, and a significant point in the scriptural passage 
uh, the author pointed this out. They don't mention any Jewish hostility. That meant there probably wasn't a synagogue there. There's no Judaizers there. Uh, there is no open persecution. Again, probably not enough people, and, and the majority is probably worshiping the empire, and the Christians might not have been significant enough to make a difference. And it doesn't say anything about heretical teaching. We just know from history that Sardis had this goddess was their town god. Um, when we lived in Suffolk, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Suffolk is the, the, the starting grounds of Planters Peanuts. I couldn't tell you anything much more than that, except it was a man named, um, it was it Amadeus? Uh, Obice, O-B-I-C-E, Obici, I guess in, in Italian. And he used to sell peanuts on the streets in New York, and he decided to roast them himself, came down to Suffolk, and so the peanut industry is huge, and we got a Mr. Peanut downtown. And so if we had a town god, it would be Mr. Peanut. All right? Um, and if you ever go to Suffolk and you need the emergency room, you will go to the Louise Obese Memorial Centera Hospital um, because that was his wife, and he built a hospital in her name. Um, Okay, so there was good. They might have been listening, yeah. But the, the, yes, and so I appreciate you knowing that and telling me that. Um, I didn't find that evidence, so I appreciate that you did, uh, you knew it. And what she said is true, though, that it doesn't mention that they're being bothered by that. Some of the other churches were, but the Jews aren't bothering them, the pagans aren't bothering them, nobody's bothering them. And that's part of the problem uh, we might see here in just a moment. Um, so the reason there uh, is none, none of this opposition is they had to be in deep spiritual apathy. If you're not living for the Lord, you're not offending anybody. So these people are there. We, the goddess is there. The Jews are there. Thank you for that. Uh, there, there's the emperor of worship is there. Nobody's ticked off at them. You get an A+. Plus. Hey, that's exactly it. That's, that's what's going on here. Yes. You, you got it. Man, all right. Well, good night. Uh, no, that, those, that, that is the point of this church. I, and I, it, it was very convicting studying this week. It, it was, they didn't make a difference. And so, you know, they were irrelevant. And we should never be irrelevant. And I, I'm not saying we go out and cause trouble. But if you, if you preach Christ earnestly, you don't have to be ugly about it. Or, and in fact, you don't help yourself if you're ugly about it. People are going to hate you because they hate Jesus, right? And, and it offends them. So before we get back to that, because that is the answer. We'll look at that in a minute. Um, let, let's, how, did Christ, how did he identify himself to this church? This is a shorter passage, so it's quicker. Uh, in the very first verse... Um, who is he? How does he show it? Somebody spit, shout it out. Yeah, so he, he's the one that has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars out of Revelation 1, 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him, who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. So the, the 
the seven spirits are in that verse, verse 4. And don't, this is a, a, a place where they're not seven Holy Spirits, okay? Seven we understand to be, and I'm not real big on numerology, but it does, it's commonly accepted. Six is the number of man, seven is the number of, of God, 12 is the number of, of perfection or completion. And, and so the sevenfold Spirit of God is just the idea of this is God in his fullness, okay? This is, the Holy Spirit is fully God himself. Um, he does not exist in three forms. He is three persons, all right? And let me, I just said that might confuse you. There is a heresy about the Trinity called modalism. And that, that is there is only one person, God, let's just call him God. When we say God, we're not saying a name. We're not specifying who. Baal is a God. Satan is a God. Jehovah is a God. But Jehovah is the true God, the supreme God, the almighty God, okay? So then we would say Jehovah to say his name, or Yahweh, not Jehovah, Yahweh. So just using the generic um, term God to explain this, uh, and we'll use the, the Christian God, Yahweh. We have the Father, who is Yahweh. We have the Son, who is also Yahweh. Um, he, he is Yahweh, but he is distinct and separate uh, from the Father. And we have the Holy Spirit, distinct and separate. Modalism teaches that in the Old Testament, God revealed himself as the Father. Then he changed and revealed himself as Jesus, as a human. And then after his death, he didn't. And that was one of the heretical teachers I heard, his name's Stephen Furtick. He said, Jesus didn't go back into heaven. He just went up in the clouds, changed into the Holy Spirit, and came back. That's modalism. Yeah. Don't, don't believe these heretics, guys. Um, they, they throw stuff like that in. That's called modalism, okay, where God appears in three modes. That word mode is a word we don't use often, but a mode is a way or a type. So that's called modalism. We don't believe that. We believe God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are distinct. They're all eternal, three persons, one God, and that God the Son and God the Father have this eternal, they flow, it's a cycle of flowing in and out of each other, that they, that, that they are sharing, uh, not sharing it, they each one independently are fully uh, authoritative, having the same essence, the same authority, the same power, but have chosen to reveal themselves to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, maybe to help us understand, we, our understanding is incomplete. I, no man has ever been able to explain the Holy Spirit, and I get real scared when I try, uh, because I can't do it, but... But those are facts that we all believe about, or conservatives believe about God, the Holy Spirit. We believe that's what the Bible teaches about, uh, I mean, about the threefold, uh, the trinity uh, that is in unity in, the, in, in our Godhead. And so the, the one who, why would it say, though, and, and let me bring this and help you with some more teaching. Why would it say he has the seven spirits of God? That is a good question. Thank you, Stuart, for asking. There's an answer in Scripture, but it's in another place. I'll have to show it to you. Anybody know? Anybody want to venture a guess? Let me give you some hints. When did the Holy Spirit... When did the Holy Spirit come 
into the church. Acts 2, good place to turn into your Bibles too. Thank you. Because the answer is there. Did the Holy Spirit exist before Acts 2? Obviously. Is the Holy Spirit mentioned in the Old Testament? Maybe not in those terms, but yes, the Spirit of God is mentioned there. He comes on people, but he leaves people. Um, he came on Saul, left Saul. David said, send not your Holy Spirit away from me. He asked God not to let him lose. In the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit comes, he says, I came to stay. I'm going to change your life. I'm not going to leave. Once I save you, I will continue the work of Christ in you till you look like Jesus. So there's no this, I pray, got saved, and then I just live any way I want. If the Holy Spirit came to live in me, he's going to keep working in me until the day I go see Jesus. So I can't just be living any old way. I'm showing no fruit, no evidence at all that I'm saved. So, and I'm only saying that to help you with this. If you've got a loved one or someone who is not living for the Lord and you get a chance to speak to them and you don't have to be ugly or mean, but you have to be very direct. Um, uh, I, I had to do, I've had to do this with a lot of people, but a, a good friend who's living in sin. And I said, you're living in sin and you must repent. Showed him Galatians 5. Those who do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I said, you're showing fruit of a lost man. What evidence can you show me that you are saved? And the only evidence he could is that he would repent of what he was doing and, and turn, but he wouldn't do it. He, he didn't do it. Always stand the man at the fork of the road. There's no good devils and there's no bad angels. Okay? You're either in or you're out. You're on or you're off. And that's how you have to talk to people because we've gotten real mushy about this. Well, he's a good boy. You know, he used to come to church and he asked Jesus to his heart. Well, how about the rest of him? He's got to take over all of us, right? And I know that's just the way we say that. I'm not, I'm not belittling that. But, but so in Acts 2, and here's the answer to my original question. Why would it say he has uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, the sevenfold spirit? Um, look at verse 33 of Acts 2. Before I read that and, and get into it, why did Jesus come to earth? Be real careful how you answer that question. Why did Jesus, what, for what, what, what was the causation of Christ coming to church? I mean, coming to the earth. The Father sinning, that's it. He didn't come because he loved you. He came because he loved the Father. And he was doing the Father's will. Does he love you? Yes, but that's not why he came, okay? So he came at the will of the Father. Was he subject to the Father? How can he be subject to the Father if he and the Father are one and they're equal in authority and power and dominion and essence? It's a voluntary submission. I will do your will. And Jesus, out of his own mouth, you can look at it, it's in the book of John, I can't give you the exact house number. He said, I don't, the words I speak, the Father, uh, is not my words, the Father tells me what to speak. I do his will, I don't do my own will. What he tells me, that's what I do. He used language like that so we would get it that he wasn't acting independently when he was here. Was he less than God when he was in his body in Israel in, let's say, 0 to 33 AD? No, he was still fully God, but he had emptied himself of that, according to Philippians, and took on the form of a human, and he had to live as a human to be qualified to die for us. So he voluntarily submitted himself to the will of the Father. Here is the only hint we have is in this verse in Acts 2. Are you ready? 
verse 33. Therefore, being exalted at the right hand of God, talking about Christ, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. What? What? Okay, I'm going to put it in human terms. And, and I, I, I am not saying this is the conversation God had at all. But you have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternity past, nothing here but God, wherever here is. Because we don't know where here is, <laughs> number one. If space is expanding, into what is it expanding? So we don't even know where we are, right? By the way, here's a side note. I won't forget where I am. I heard a Christian guy uh, talking about the odds of the earth existing, all right? This is just scientifically, because our earth being the third planet from the sun and then having the other planets around us, you know, circling the sun, our position puts us in a place very much shifting closer, further away, up, down, whatever, would destroy all life on earth. Our position as a solar system with the stars closest to us is exact. Our position in the galaxy is exact. Our galaxy in position to the others is exact. And when you run all the numbers, and someone did, the possibility of a planet existing that everything was exactly what was needed for life as it appears on earth. Notice that phrase. It could, you might have something else somewhere else. The possibility of all of that coming together for there to be one planet that exists that can support life like we know it on Earth is 0.07. There's not even a 1% chance that this planet should exist. Yet it does. Got some more for you. So the chance of there being two planets like us Put in your dot and start writing zeros. And here's how they explained it. You would run out of particles to write with and to write on before you ran out of zeros to put the first number on in all of the known universe. It is that unrealistic that we're even here. There had to be a creator with a very specific purpose for us to be here. So I said that because here's God, wherever he is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, hanging out, perfectly happy, don't need anything, don't need anybody, they, they, they're self-sufficient, they don't, they don't have to plant, they don't have to sow, they don't have to reap, they don't have to eat, they, can, they are eternal. And somewhere in eternity past, and you can read this in Colossians 1, and I encourage you to study that and go online and get study helps or whatever and, and get definitions for words. They had some kind of conversation that went something like, Jesus pipes up and says, hey guys, I got this great idea. What is it? Let's make a universe. And in that universe, we'll put a planet on the edge of this galaxy that we'll call, the, it'll be known as the Milky Way. And on there, we'll put all kinds of life. And then we'll put a creature that is above all those other creatures. And he'll live there. And we're going to make him. And, and at first, we're going to have communion with him. And then he's just going to rebel against us. And instead of just destroying them like we ought to, we're going, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to become one of them. And I will, I will make up for what they lost and then I'll die on a cross so that we can have victory uh, over sin and death. And I don't know if Satan's there yet or not. And, and then 
uh, I'll write, you know, God, Father, you, you got to get me out, up from the dead to make it valuable. And, and God said, that's a good idea. And I tell you what, if you do that, I'll give you control of the Holy Spirit. If you obey my will to do it that way, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. Jesus, after he has risen, being exalted at the right hand of God and received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, poured him out on us. Remember what I said about Jesus being subject to the will of the Father? Now, the Holy Spirit says, I'll do it. I will go, I will be subject to you, and I will fill that church. I'll fill those people, and I will do whatever you tell me to tell them. So just as Jesus is subject to the Father, the Spirit is subject to Christ, and all. And what does Jesus say? It say about Jesus in Corinthians, that at the end, all glory will come to Jesus, and then he'll turn and give all glory to the Father so that the Father might be glorified in everything. Because... It's the Father's plan. Jesus did the work and the Holy Spirit completes the work in every instance in Scripture. The Spirit moved on the face of the waters. The Spirit moved that Mary would conceive. The Spirit moved to keep Jesus alive in that womb until he was born. Hey, you need to get out of town. They're going to come in to kill you. Jesus did his miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was, John 3, the Spirit was given him without measure. The Bible says in Hebrews, offering himself on the cross by the Spirit of God, by the power of the Spirit. Trusting himself, and Romans 8, and the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. The Holy Spirit always completes the work. The Spirit's poured out on the church, and Acts 1, 1, the work that Jesus began to do and teach, here's, here's how it's going on, and we have the church. Got that? So here, Sardis is reminded Jesus has the complete spirit of God. He, he I, I don't want to use words like own or controls, but, but the spirit is in voluntary submission to the will of the son to give the church what they need. The problem in the church is spiritual death. They need the Holy Spirit. If your spirit's dead, you need the live spirit in you, right? So that's what's going on here in and Sardis, oh, I'm looking at Acts, no wonder it wasn't making any sense. Um, so, it, and, and the seven stars, and that's, I got you to answer that question. Seven stars are seven messengers, right? So Christ is not only the possessor of the Holy Spirit who can give life. The seven stars signifies Christ's concern for his church. Though not in the right place, this church isn't in the right place. God is still concerned for his bride. As a husband, any husband in here, if your wife was in a dangerous place, would you not care? Would you not want to rescue her? Would you not want to, to, to bring redemption, to, to, to help her out of that, that mess? Of course you would. And so Christ is no less, obviously. So what is the problem? I know your works. The spiritual decay is not obvious on the outside at first. Listen to what it says. Man, brother, you really nailed it. We really could have just gone home. I know your works. You have the reputation. What's the difference between reputation and character? Well, you are, right. They didn't have, they didn't have character, but they had reputation. You have the reputation of being alive 
But me being God and I can see not on the outside but on the inside, you're dead. We jokingly say some people are dead and don't have the decency to lay down. Well, that was Sardis. They're dead and don't know it. And that's a, that's a sad place. The spiritual decay is not obvious. And, and we, you can see this in churches. The Holy Spirit can leave and they'll coast. And then they... And you have to have spiritual eyes look in there and go, wait a minute, we've got a, we've got a thing in here that's going to kill the body. And it, and it takes the Holy Spirit to discern that and to, 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 to see that. So they had an outside reputation of being alive. They're moving around. They have vitality. They're doing stuff. They're doing things. But it's not spiritual. It doesn't matter in eternity. It doesn't matter if we're doing things. It matters if we're doing eternal things. Right? Amen? But in the sight of God, dead. The world's going, yeah, y'all are good people. We love you guys. God's going, you're dead. Just smelling the place up. And so I just wrote the word dead. This is a picture of a nominal Christian. I don't know if you know that phrase. We use it for all religions. Uh, Muslim, Jew, I'm a nominal Jew, I'm a nominal Muslim, that is. And there are nominal Christians. I'm a Christian in name only. Okay? Uh, we even have a phrase in politics about that. They were outwardly prosperous and busy with externals of religious activity. And I just put in all capital letters, but no spiritual life. Where is it? No place in the Bible uh, it says that a zeal for God, but not according to his will or something. It, it, what is it? Not according to knowledge. Thank you. Get the word out. It, they had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. In other words, they excited about the Lord. In the Old Testament story, this battle and this, and, and the battle wasn't quite decided. And one guy's going, let me run, let me run, let me run. Because the only way to get messengers, the way you send a message, they didn't have a radio, telephone, or, or cell phone. A guy had to run from the battlefield back to the place. And so this guy finally says, fine, run. He takes off running. And he gets there and they go, what's going on? He goes, I don't know. <sighs> he didn't have anything to tell him because he didn't wait to find out. Then the other guy shows up and tells the, the story of the battle. Um, you can you can look busy, you can run, and then you get there and you got nothing to say, you got nothing to show. So there was no spiritual life in this church. So what is the solution? And, and that's in several of these verses. Remember then uh, what you received. Well, let me back up. Uh, verse, uh, I can't find any numbers. Verse 2, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Isn't it kind of interesting that they're dying and that they're asleep? I mean, I, I understand if someone is slowly dying, they kind of have lost consciousness. I, I was by my mother's bedside. She had been out of it for, for a long, long time. And my sister and I are just standing vigil. My sister's a nurse. And, and we could talk to her. We could do that. She couldn't respond. And, um, you know, we knew the signs. And when the time came, we, we were with her as she went home. But I, we couldn't have woken her up. And she couldn't have done anything if she had woken up. They are about to die. And he's going, wake up! Get up! Now, if someone is bleeding out or struggling, I mean, you see it in movies and stuff, you know, they, you know they're yelling at them, stay with me, stay with me, stay in here, you know. Um, I see a scene in a movie in my head. I kind of like that movie. Um, but why? Just to keep them awake, keep them conscious, keep them fighting to stay alive. This church has fallen into sleep. 
And um, I think it was Charles Spurgeon that said, if you rock the cradle, the baby will go to sleep. But if you give it a good jerk, it might wake up. And uh, he was good at giving the cradle a good jerk. He would uh, say stuff to wake him up. Um, so the solution, wake up and strengthen what remains, is about to die. That word awake literally means be watching. All right, it's not just coming into consciousness. It's that you're on the lookout. We did the uh, safety training here with some of the leaders in the church. And uh, our police guys came in and, and helped us. And they said, everybody, let's say white is, I can't remember the exact colors, but I think it's white and then yellow. Uh, is that right, Robert? Okay. So white means you're home in bed. You don't even, you're not even thinking about it. <laughs> you may not be, but I am. Yeah, code white. Code white, yes. Yeah, co uh, two nights ago, or was it last night? It was last night. We let our dogs out to, you know, go last time in the bathroom and all, and they just lit up. And Jessica, what's going on? I don't know. They're barking at something. I see a light swinging out there. She goes, well, go outside. So I get out a pistol. I put on my shoes. I go outside. I can't find a flashlight. I'm going, great. If something's going to attack me, I can't even see it coming. Go over, and the dogs are just, rah, 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 and they got a possum not that big. And they're just, rah, rah. So I pull them off. Come on, dogs. Get inside. They go inside. I go back, and I pick up a stick and touch the possum. I didn't poke him hard, and he moved a little bit. I'm like, ah, he may be dying, but I didn't want to put a bullet in him. He had a chance of living. So I said, tell you what, buddy, if you're gone in the morning, good for you, but I'm just going to leave you alone. If you die, I'll go throw you in the woods and let something eat you, all right? So I, and I went to where I thought I saw a light, and it just happened to be one of my bird feeders reflecting light. You know? So I got up this morning, got to let the dogs out. I don't want them doing it again. Got a shovel, went over there. No possum. He made it. All right. Yay. So that's the good end of that story. To be awake means to go to code yellow. And most men are always in code yellow. Code yellow means you go in a restaurant and you check out, okay, who's sitting in here? Who is, who's standing around? You're in a store and you turn around and you look, who's coming up behind you? What's going on in this store? You know where the exit is. You're watching because you don't know where danger's going to just all of a sudden pop up. So most guys do that all the time. Um, Probably been the guys in here say, yep, that's right. That's what this word means. Always be watching. Always have one eye out for it. Um, you may not know the name Bobby Richardson. He was a great second baseman, a believer in Christ, played for the uh, Tigers, I believe. This was back in the 60s when he played. I'm sorry? The Yan oh, yeah, that's right. He was a Yankee. I forgot that. <laughs> I try, my favorite guys, I try to make sure they weren't Yankees, but you're right. <laughs> shoot um he's a devout christian and when i was in school in seminary i went to what was then called columbia bible college and the graduate school had a really long name it's now all ciu columbia international university and columbia seminary bobby richardson had one kid that already graduated he had a son that was in classes with me and a daughter in the college so we're out playing intramural softball and this one particular day that's bobby richardson over there now, I'm freaked out. I mean, the Hall of Fame type guy, you know, just amazing guy. And he's standing near first base, between first base and home, and he's talking to somebody, just carrying on a conversation with him. Somebody, we're warming up, and some guy threw a ball from the outfield and missed through it to first base. I saw a blur. I don't know what it was, but there was this blur. And the first thing that came into focus was a hand, and that softball smacked that hand. And the hand came into focus, and everything quit vibrating, and it was Bobby Richardson. He was standing here talking to a guy 
by a ball field, but because of his years and years and years of playing ball, he had one eye watching where are those balls out there because I don't want to get hit in the head by one. And he caught that. And the reason he had to catch it because right past him, it went way downhill and that ball's going to be lost. So he caught that ball for us. That was amazing. That's what it means to be watchful. He's having a conversation with a guy outside the field. Wasn't even paying, you know, nobody even thought he was paying attention. But when that ball was going errantly, he caught it. He stopped it because he was aware. That's what this word means, to be watching, not just to wake up. Yes? They're sleepwalking. <laughs> that is a great point. Why didn't you tell me that before? Oh, yeah. Um, the, the, the great thing that was just said was when Jesus says to, to be watching or to wake up, he doesn't tell them to do anything because they're already doing stuff. But he says, wake up and strengthen yourself. Strengthen what remains. They've grown weak. Um, and, and so now they have to strengthen what remained, what's left, and is about to die. And then he says, I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. It wasn't that the works were bad, but that word complete is also the word perfect. They weren't full of what God wanted. You follow that? You with me? The word perfect just means complete. And so sometimes as Christians, we can be perfect, but that doesn't mean we're without error. It means we're complete in God, Okay. So just remember that. So this city inside, it had an impregnable acropolis which had never been breached from outside. Nobody had ever been able to break in. It is the Hornburg. That's just for Andy. Um, but twice it had been taken by stealth because of the lack of vigilance by the defenders. They fell asleep. And so... This church is not too late for them to repent and change. They've just fallen asleep. They're not paying attention. Again, I grew up in Charleston. I could, I could watch Navy ships going up and down the Cooper River from my bedroom window before they built a hotel right there uh, for the Navy guys. It drove me nuts because I couldn't see the ships. And, uh, and so Marines guarded the base. And I uh, had a, a, a captain in the Navy uh, tell me um, that this... I'm going to say he was an admiral, but he was up in those kind of ranks, was going into the Naval Weapons Station in Goose Creek where the um, Poseidon subs and missiles were. And, you know, they got signs in those submarines that say when you care enough to send the very best, Poseidon. Um, and so this admiral comes in, and the way it worked is he would step inside an enclosure and hand the Marine his papers, and then he'd go into that enclosure, and the Marine would check his papers, hand them back, and he could go on in. So the... The higher-up admiral, he steps in, hands the Marine his papers. He puts him in that one, checks them out. Everything's checked, hands them to him. The second guy stepped in the first chamber. He said, papers. And the guy said, I don't have any papers. The Marine said, then you need to get out and go, go away. And the admiral said, no, he's with me. He said, I don't care if he's with you or not. He's got to have papers. Where's his papers? No, he said, no, Marine, you don't understand. He's with me. And the Marine drew his forty-five and stuck it in his face said, you don't understand, this is my gate, and without papers, he's not coming through. Admiral said, you know, holster your weapons, son. He'll have papers in a minute. Okay, thank you. Put his gun up, and they went back out. That's vigilance. When you are, you don't have to be the high guy. You got to be the guy that says, you're not coming through here, and this church will fall asleep. And they're, letting, they're letting apathy 
take over. And so without revival, they're going to fall into death, is what he goes on to say. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not become watchful or wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know it what hour I will come against you. This plays into, so many times you, you may have heard as people talk about the same coming, that when Jesus comes, it's going to be a surprise. It's only going to be a surprise for those people who aren't watching for him. That's what he said. He didn't say it would be a surprise for everybody. It would just be a surprise for people not looking. I, I'm, I'm not going to be surprised somebody coming in my house. I know what's going on. Did I mention I got my pistol? It's in a place where I can get my hand on it quick. So some you come through my door, you might not go back out the same way if you're not supposed to be in there. You say, my wife's going to say, honey, you shouldn't talk like that. <laughs> and I'm not looking to ever have to do that, praise the Lord. I hope not. But, but here's my point. Jesus is coming back. Now, if you're not watching for him, you ought to be. All right? We don't know at what hour time he's coming. And, and so we ought to be watching for danger. We ought to also be watching for our salvation, for the Lord to come, right? And so he says, they're going to be asleep. They're not looking for him, and it's going to catch them unawares. And that's how the thief comes in. He comes when you least expect him, all right? And uh, I, I, I'm just so late, I'm racing on now. It, but look what he says in verse 4. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis. Isn't it interesting Jesus knows their names? I mean, we know that he knows that, but isn't that a cool way to put it? He has to say, you've got a couple of people. He says, you've got a few names in Sardis. I know their names. And these guys have not let it go. They, they are, they're where they need to be. People who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Um, the commentator I read, um, let me see if I have that written down here. I don't think I do. Um, the commentator, one of the commentators I read was that I, I mentioned that these people had this luxurious, relaxed lifestyle. They had a lot of money. And they're not doing anything. The church had gotten, had begun doing that. They were just lazy is the word we would use for that. And that's why he says, I don't find your works complete. They were incomplete. They were inadequate. There was no persecution. There's no heresy. There was no Jewish opposition. We are in most danger when we don't have opposition. What causes the church to grow is when it means something to be a Christian. And that's why the church in America has grown so weak. Is because when's the last time you had to die to say you were a Christian? The closest we came was COVID. Okay, everybody shut down. You might get a flu. And what do we do? We quit coming. Well, I wasn't hard. Now, what if they put a gun to your head and say, if you go to church, I'm going to shoot you? No worries, man. Put your gun up. I'll stay home. Right? Well, this church had grown in, into that apathetic degree. And uh, or they're just living this, this lifestyle. I, I promise you, today we were supposed to pray for the persecuted church. I promise you, nobody in those countries take that lightly. They don't say, sure, I'll take Jesus. Let me say a prayer. Oh, good. I get to go to heaven. Whatever. No, they, it, it cost them. Where we're, we're, Pete and I were in Africa, a lot, many of these people are in a Muslim home or in an animistic home. And for them to accept Christ is going to cost them, maybe their family will throw them out and they, and they can't be part of the family anymore. That's true in Jewish families, a lot of false religions. Um, had a good friend, 
Jewish brother and his cousins, his families were going to have a funeral for his two cousins who accepted Christ um, because uh, they wouldn't own them anymore. Um, they didn't take that step back then. We prayed for them, and they didn't take that step uh, so they could keep talking to their family. So in the sight of God, all these were inadequate because there is where I wrote it. They were formal and external. They were not infused with the life of God and the Holy Spirit. Oh, I, it's interesting, Pastor Andy led us in that song because every morning... For many years now, when Jesus, when Jesus, when Janice, you know, I wear a WWJD bracelet, but it stands for what would Janice do? But anyway, <laughs> sorry, bad joke, but I had to do it. No, every morning before she leaves, I pray for her. She prays for me, but I pray for her out loud specifically, Lord, today, flow out of Janice like a river of living water. Because that's what we, that's what we need to be and do. And I'm not saying that's, you know, any great thing other than I pray that for her every morning. And maybe you need to pray it for yourself, pray it for your mate, pray it for your, the people you know. And he says, remember what you received and heard and keep it and repent. Come back to that earliest experience of your love and devotion to Christ. A lot like Ephesus in this, isn't it? And repent of the indifference to which they had fallen. They just didn't care anymore. Uh, anyway, sorry, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you illustration for everything. And then notice what he says. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. And it's usually used for the second coming, Revelation 16, 15, Matthew 24, 4, the two big verses that say that he's going to catch people by surprise. But again, if you read the whole context, he said, because they're not watching for him. They're not looking for him. Um, also, Luke 12, 39, I, I get them all listed there for you. But this doesn't point to a suddenness, but to an unpreparedness. And this church is unprepared for Christ to show up. Um, man, back during the Jesus People revival, um, they used to say stuff like that. You want to be sinning when Jesus comes back? You know, you're going through the air and you're, you're doing something you wasn't supposed to be doing and you're about to meet Jesus. You know, they used to kind of scare you into, into, into being right. But that's what it says in 1 John 3. Beloved... Uh, out, oh gosh, I've got to quote it. Um, I got to quote a lot to get to the, the last phrase. But First John three is a great verse. Um, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him, beloved. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. And then listen to verse 3. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as Jesus or he is pure. Did you catch that? If you are looking for Jesus, you're going to keep wanting to look like Jesus because that's what you want him to find you as. Um, is, is, is looking like Christ. All right. Um, there's a lot for a short text, isn't it? Um, so this refers to something that God will bring on this, this lethargic church, an unexpected experience of divine judgment. He's not talking about his second coming here, um, very likely. He's saying, I will come against you. I'm gonna, something's going to happen to you if you, don't, if you don't repent. Remember when I was talking about my friend? The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 1, 
He being often reproved hardens his neck will suddenly be cut off and that without remedy. So I believe when you confront a person about their sin and, and do it in you know gracious, loving, thoughtful way, Galatians also tells us that, that we do that taking heed to ourselves lest we too become a castaway. None of us are beyond being able to sin. But when you, when you have to confront somebody and say, look, here, here's the fork in the road, bud. You're going to follow Christ, you're going to keep following your sin. Nine times out of ten, if a guy's lost, he's going to say, yeah, you're crazy. Okay? And he'll just keep going that way. I believe a Christian can say the same thing and go that way. But here's what I believe. If a man is a, I think a Christian will repent when faced with the word of God and do that. But if he decides he's going to continue that way, one of two things are going to happen. Either he will repent soon or God's going to kill him. I, I sincerely believe that. And that's why it's with a heaviness and a tearfulness that if you ever have to help someone that you, you have that. Because you are, you are saying... You are now responsible. You have heard the word of God, and you are responsible to respond. And I believe most Christians will repent when God, when God confronts And If they don't do it right then, I believe in the very near future they will. But if they don't, the Bible promises he'll cut them off without remedy. They're not lost. The Bible says they're not lost, but they still got the smell of smoke on them as they're being snatched out of a fire, that they are they're. They've got, I, I had a friend, and he wasn't in sin. He was about 10 steps out of it. And I said, brother, let me, let me paint you a picture where the devil's taking you. And I told him, and he went. I mean, I saw, I saw just that shock, that intake of air. And he said, you're right. I didn't even see that. And he repented right away. Why? Because he was a man of God. He, he didn't want to sin, but the devil just blinded him. And he was just taking these steps. And I saw him where he was headed, and I just wanted to help him and, and was able to do that. And so... This judgment is going to be based on this church's failure to repent. It's not because of, it is because of the sin, but we don't have to wallow in the, oh man, we blew it. No, repent, and he's going to restore. He's going to get you where you need to be, and you don't have to worry. Yeah, we blew it, but man, God has, God has rescued us, and we can go forward in Christ again. Well, here's the promise, and, and I'll end it the last little bit here. Um, okay, we're not too bad. Uh, we're bad, but not too bad. He says, I still have a few names in Sardis. I've already read that verse. Um, the condition is not universal even here. Even here, God's got a remnant. And I believe God does have a remnant in almost every place. Um, and I can only say almost because I don't know everything. Um, and here, there's a few who are left who, who are still loyal to Christ. They've not gone into uh, uh, being lackadaisical or any of the false gods or emperor worship or any of that. And these are people who've not soiled their garments. I don't know how your mom was uh, when you were growing up, but my mom would not let us wear, um, well, like I'm wearing, my mom would, is probably, as the saying goes, spinning in her grave, but that's not possible. But anyway, uh, because I'm wearing jeans and I'm at church, you know, that, that kind of mom, right? She wouldn't let us wear jeans to school. We had to dress nicely. And teachers, you say, you, you look so nice. And my mom said, you can always look nice at the beginning of the day. She said, I don't care. You go play on the playground and tear them up and get them soiled, but you're going to get there looking nice, okay? And then when I came home, what did I do? I took them off and I put on my play clothes. Y'all know that? Remember that? They were sitting on my chair folded up from yesterday, right? And then in the closet, you had your 
Thank you, your church clothes, right. It's time to go to meeting clothes, exactly. You know, Grandpa saved his good overalls for Sunday. So, um, oh, man, sorry, don't, don't make me start telling those stories. Um, so, so these people have not soiled their garments. They, they've not gotten them dirty in sin. And this suggests that there were people who were influenced by the influence of the environment. Okay, it wasn't like this specific thing that they, oh, you know what, I, that sounds like a good idea. Let's go check that out and be in a false thing. They just sort of, yeah, that's okay. And they just start tolerating it, and they're influenced by the influence of their environment. I, one of those preachers I listened to, Bodie Bauckham, this week, and he's a great man of God. And he was showing how used we've gotten um, to the idea of, of um, homosexual sin let me put it just broadly and what what he what he illustrated it with and by the way I don't know if you pay any attention to commercials when you're watching TV um, there's at least three cartoons with uh, common cartoons my kids used to watch when they were kids that now have um, gay couples in them and just using the world's terms here and he said when those things first started I don't how many of y'all remember when Ellen DeGeneres on um, said on her show she came out as, as gay. Now, I think everybody suspected it, but the world was like, it was the headline. Now there's not a show without a gay character in it. And we go, uh-huh. We're Sardis. Right? We just go, oh, yeah. Well, you know, kind of the way it is. And we, we accept it. And... and, and we have, to, we have to be careful that we don't. And, and listen, I don't believe in being uh, ugly or mean to anybody. They, I, uh, we all sin, and we all have the same sin. There's not, uh, there are different sins, but uh, any one of them causes us to, to be out of fellowship with God. And they just, they need to, they're looking for uh, a, a real love that they've never found. I, I firmly believe this. And they, they still are looking in the wrong places, the country song says. Um, and and, and they, they don't know the love of God. The love of God takes care of everything. So these people are influenced by the influence of their environment. They're spiritually indifferent while externally maintaining good work. Have you ever had to put on, like you had to pretend? Thought your life is falling apart and you had to go to work and pretend like everything was okay? Isn't that exhausting? <laughs> How exhausting is it to be a church pretending to be doing good stuff and not having any power in it whatsoever? Um, earlier, when I started that, I was thinking about Vance Havner. He was a great prophet and man of God. Born in 1900, I believe. He preached until the late 80s, early 90s. And, uh, and, and uh, he, he was Southern Baptist, and this was in the 60s, and they were at a big convention, and the air conditioning was blowing. And he talked about the wind of the Holy, the wind coming at Acts two, and the Holy Spirit coming. And he said, he said we've replaced that with air conditioning. And then he said, I believe the Holy Spirit could leave the Southern Baptist Convention, and nobody would miss him. He said that in the '60s, and I'm not sure if he's not right, and it has, and he has. Um, we, we're in a lot of trouble, y'all, uh, and we need to be praying. I don't believe the people are evil. I just believe that we have. Um, moved in the wrong direction, as Janice so well pointed out, thank you for that, I think mean, that was awesome, that, that it's not what we do, it's how we live, yes. Uh, so, how 
I can't quote me exactly. You, <laughs> you said there are five or six things that are non-negotiable. Yes, yes. And then you said there's the bad, and then in the middle you said there's the Christian, everything else is Christian liberty. And so mm. that statement makes me, it's hard for me to get pumped up about this. Mm-hmm. If we're really only talking about five or six things. Right. Right, right. Yeah. But in my daily walk, it's more like this. And I need this punch. Yes, yes. To get me through the day. Yeah. Because nobody's questioning me about the person. Right, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're right. Well, and that, and that's where the Beatitudes help me, and I appreciate Maybe I can clarify that some. The struggle is me saying it clearly, not that there's not an answer. Um, when I say there's, there's Christian liberty, I just mean you can have one opinion on a certain thing and I can have another opinion on a certain thing and the Bible is not clear enough for either one of us to declare victory. Um, uh, Calvinism, Arminianism, that's still debated. Top minds debate it and these guys have verses that show that's wrong and these guys have verses that show that's wrong and somewhere, and I like the, uh, um, an illustration I read one time that Somewhere above that ceiling, there are rafters that come together that hold up the roof, but we can't see them. You know, we know they're there, but we can't see them. And that's sort of God's word. There are rafters there, we see parts of them, but we don't see how they meet and hold up the roof. Um, so that's not a matter of indifference. It's a matter of you've you got a strong opinion. i got a strong opinion, but we're brothers in Christ because it's not, it's not deter, it does not determine salvation or not. Um, so the things we have to be strong about, but... When we talk about living in front of the world, Jesus said they'll know, you're my, they'll know you by your love, our love for God and our love for other people. So I can't keep up with six or seven things that I got to, you know, I don't go out there saying, I believe in the virgin birth, I believe the Bible is the word of God. You know, I've got to go out there and show love and people, why, why are you doing that? Because the love of Christ is in me. And I, I love in Christ's name, you know, and I love you in Christ's name. We disagree, hey, that's good, praise the Lord, tell me, well, you, oh, that, that's pretty interesting, I'll think about that, let's go get some coffee and have a donut, that'd be awesome. You know, it, so, it's not an indifference, it's a, it, it doesn't matter for, for salvation, so we don't have to fight about it, we can have our difference and be united in the essential, that, that. but if we are living like Christ, did, did Christ go around condemning, the only sin he condemned were the hypocrites in the Jewish religion. You know, like I said, my, one of my favorite songs, Surely God is With Us. And, and it's as if people are trying to figure out Jesus. And it sounds like it's Pharisees. And they're like, but we, you know, who is his dad? You know, isn't this the carpenter's son? And, and what is going on here? And then the line in the song says, but the whores all seem to love him. And the drunks propose a toast saying, surely God is with us. Because he loved them. And those people's lives were transformed and they were no longer prostitutes and drunks, but they were valuable to the kingdom, Mary Magdalene being one, Paul, a murderer being one, where he never just, he didn't go and say, you're a sinner and well, I'm not going to have anything to do. In fact, that was his whole illustration. Who's my neighbor? Well, this, this Jewish guy fell among thieves over here and they beat him up, left him in the ditch. And the priest came by and said, got to get to the temple, you know. The lawyer came by and said, oh, they've got some problems down here. Sorry, guy, I've got to go do that. 
And then who should have been his enemy, the Samaritan comes by and takes him and binds his wounds. And he said, which one's his neighbor? Was it the guy that agreed with them where worship should be? Or is it the guy, the guy that was very strict in his religion that had no love and mercy from God? Right? And they had to say, well, the Samaritan, who they hated. You know, it'd be like saying, well, actually that did happen. I'll, I won't do that illustration. So that illustrates from Jesus, and what I see in this church is they've let the society influence them into relaxing and not living for Christ at all. They've just fallen asleep. They do their, I could get up, come to church every weekend, even come on Wednesday nights. You know, we used to say Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, give my money, pray my prayers, read my Bible, do my lesson, go to Sunday school. And not be not know God at all. Um, there's a book I'll recommend to your reading, and the name is escaping me. Mail come to me in a minute. It's by Philip Yancey, um, and it, it's a bit autobiographical. And he went to Columbia Bible College where I went, and in that he's a very famous author too, by the way. And in that book, he said, and it's true, um, the alarm went off six o'clock, and you had to get out of bed and do your quiet time. And he said, I was never further away from God than I was those four years where I had to do a quiet time. Because it was a requirement. It wasn't, it had nothing to do with his desire to know God. And so when I, when I was going through the Beatitudes, I saw that pure in heart. Boy, that got me. That's where, man, I just want to live for Jesus. I want to, and it's not the, oh, you just drive me crazy and says, well, it's just Jesus. We don't need to know. No, we need to know theology. We need to know what the Bible says. We need to be right. But we can be, well, again, Vance Havner said, we can dot every I and cross every T and still misspell the word. <laughs> you know, we, we have to be right about the right thing. And the right thing is, what did Jesus say? What are the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. On those two things hang all the law. So if we love God and we love our neighbor, all the rest of the do's and shalls and shall nots hang on that. That it's either a love for God or love for our neighbor that, and that that speaks to my action. Does that make more sense? Sure. I, I just see, you know, most of us there are some of them. We have seen them even develop a little bit over the years yeah. where it's like unbelievable. Yeah. And the people that I know that are so prompt, profoundly and slowly uh, love the Lord, without falling apart, falling apart. Right. When we, when, we, when, when we do not do the will of God. Right. Well, if we do those two things, we fulfill the law. See, we don't have to, we don't have to because Ezekiel says he'll take out a heart of stone as a heart of flesh and write his law in our heart. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Not that we don't need the Bible, because that is how he writes it on our heart. But he writes it on our heart so that our, from internally, we now respond to the to the power of God in us to, to turn to the right. And more simply, that verse is in Ecclesiastes. Of making many books, there is no end, and much studies awareness of the flesh. Therefore, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Love God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. 
the, the first catechism uh, of the Westminster Short Catechism, what is the chief duty of man? To, to love God and enjoy him forever. That, that's what we're supposed to do. And this church isn't doing that. They don't love God. They love their luxury. They're not, they're not, they're not hot for God. They just, yeah, we go to church, you know, and then we go out to eat. <laughs> and, we, you know, we go to the Riviera on the weekend. <laughs> we do whatever, you know, it's, it's no, no strictness. And so, that's a, but that is something I think we struggle with. I think that's a great point, and we ought to take that into great consideration. Um, I, and, and the evangelicalism, okay, I'll come right to you. I believe it went wrong when it got codified, when they started making rules. You know, um, I got into some really bad one when I was a teenager. Like you had to, your glasses had to be made out of a certain frame. And I, I had a three-piece denim suit, and I got criticized because it was made out of denim. I was wearing a three-piece suit to public school, but no, no, it's got to be, you know, polyester blend or something. Like what? You know, and I was condemned just because my suit was made out of denim. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, definitely. We're in all of them. Come on, amen. <laughs> Guess who's preaching Sunday? <laughs> right, no, you're right, brother. Amen. Yeah, and I appreciate that, and, and, and you're right, and, and the answer is the same. I mean, I, I've, I've been going through this in my head, too, about myself. Of, you know, I read my Bible every day, but am I really sitting down and saying, what is this telling me, writing it out and praying about that, and being more intentional to, to meet with God so that I'm prepared to meet with men, and then intentionally saying a word to men about Christ, and... and I failed in that today. I thought about it and didn't didn't do it. I had an opportunity and just kind of let it go, and I shouldn't have. So, yeah. Uh, right. 
Amen. Well, yeah. It may not be that, may, may, that same thing, but it yeah. be something. Well, if she sneaks out like I'm in the shower and she's gone to work, I pray, it, and then I call her like, I prayed for you. Okay, thanks. <laughs> so I, I, let me cover something real quick. We're way past time, and I appreciate you hanging in there. And I know, I know the brain can only absorb what the, what the backside can endure. Um, the, the, they walk with him in white, for they are worthy the promise of victory and purity in the Messianic kingdom is what he's talking about. Those who remain faithful in a pagan environment will experience fellowship with the Lord. And I gave you some scriptures there. And then here's the phrase I wanted to go over real quick. I will not blot his name out of the, tree, out of the book of life. And people think, see, the Bible says you can lose your salvation. That's not what he said. He said you won't lose your salvation. Who will not be in the book of life? Those who do not repent and live this way those who aren't and so the the way and and the metaphor is this any town in that time this town everybody lived in that town their name was written on a, on a city roll and when you died they blotted your name out so he's saying you're spiritually dying and if you don't wake up your name's gonna get blotted out but if you'll repent it won't now is it saying they'll lose their salvation i go back to what i said earlier what is the evidence they are saved well, if they heard the word of God and repented, that's the one. And so it's not that their name was there and it gets blotted out. It's, it was a metaphor they understood. Oh, we're spiritually dead. We're going to lose our citizenship. And, and so I wanted to make that clear. I don't know why I'm just looking at you. Cause I guess I was talking to you a minute ago. Sorry about that. Um, so uh, this, but this metaphor occurs frequently. I gave you a bunch of verses. I put that in short. A civic register contained the names of the living citizens. So God's book contains, uh, the book of life contains the names of his saints. And guess what? The Bible says it was written down before the foundation of the world. My name got put in there before he created the universe. And I already talked about it. A promise of eternal security is culminating in the kingdom of God. And then the last thing doesn't even need discussion. It is just the last phrase before, if you've got an ear, listen. And I will confess him before my father and his angels. And there are scriptures. If we're not willing to confess Jesus in front of men, he won't confess us before his father.